blessed this morning, say amen. Amen. God is so good and we are blessed to be gathered together today. We are finishing up our talk from last week, which is really, I think, week three officially. Um, But if you know me, uh, a four-week series can very easily become a six-week series. It's not difficult by any stretch for me to do that. And so we are finishing up last week's talk. And so if you have your Bible, we are going to open to our text for this series, Ephesians 3. And so Ephesians chapter 3, if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn there. If you're using a Bible provided, you should have this page memorized by now, most likely, but 824. And so Ephesians chapter 3, or page 824, if you're using one of the Bibles provided. And so we are going to open with our text for the series. And I want to start there again so we can grow even more familiar with this passage and what we just sang. Um, It's amazing how he is with us. And I know we don't always feel that way, but that's why we don't let our feelings lead truth. Amen. Uh, Truth leads our feelings. We may feel one thing and the word says another and then we go with the word because our feelings are fickle. And they will mislead us and discourage us and get us off track. But the truth of God will never mislead us. Will always keep us where we need to be. First uh, John 4 tells us that he is greater even than our hearts. When our hearts try to condemn us or speak against us and our emotions are screaming at us. That we're not good enough. We can't be used. Who are we? We silence all of that with the power of God's word. When he reminds us and we see the cross before us that he is for us. And so Ephesians chapter 3, we're going to read our text, and then we're going to review just briefly. And I really do mean briefly. Even for me, it'll be brief. And then we'll get into some new material this morning before we celebrate the Lord's Supper. So Ephesians 3 and verse 20. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us. We sang of that very power this morning. Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. And we've covered every single week so far the reality that God is able, that he is capable, that he can. And when we pray and we ask God to work in a situation, and we're talking this morning about the miracles of protection, but we've talked about the miracles of healing We've talked about other areas of of miracles where where God has delivered us from self and from Satan. And we had to realize early on, and I pray that we're getting this and we're understanding this, that when I pray and ask God to do something that I believe is in agreement with his will, and he chooses to do something different, it is not because he can't do what I was asking. It's because by his sovereign will, he has chosen whatever his answer is, is best. Not always best as I define best. And this is where we get a little off track with some of the teaching today in our world. 
So many people want to teach you that God's best for you is the exact same and will always be the exact same as your idea of best for you. And that's not our God. If your God only does what you think is best, that's not a very big God. That's not a very wise God. Because let me tell you, there's times that I've prayed for things that I thought was best and God showed me something different down the road and I realized, oh, that's why you said no over here because what you had planned was not what I would have ever asked. It wasn't easier and at times it wasn't better. But what you did through that season has brought me to a place that is so much better than where I ever could have brought myself. And so we have to realize that he is able. Him saying no is not a a condition of his ability that he can't. It's his wisdom and that he decides what is best for his glory and our blessing. And I do believe it needs to go in that order. God will do what is best for his glory and our blessing. Our blessing or how we define that is not predominant over his glory. It is always his glory first. And when we realize it's his glory, then our blessing, and we don't switch those two things, then when he is glorified, we'll always see the blessing in it. When he is glorified, we'll always see the blessing that comes in that, whether we originally thought that was a blessing or not. And I know we're coming up on Thanksgiving. In just a few days, we're going to be sitting around that table. Amen? Some of you aren't excited about food like I am. Some of you don't like that, that casserole, that green bean casserole, which I'm telling you right now, that is the side dish. If you have a Thanksgiving where there's no green bean casserole, it's not Thanksgiving. I hate to tell you that. It's just not. Okay? Praise God. Hallelujah. Amen. Okay? And with the little crunchy onion things on it, mm, so good. Okay? We're going to sit around the table. And I, I don't know about you guys. Sometimes during this time of year, we'll get more aware of what we're thankful for. It's not that we're thankful now and we weren't every other week of the year, it's that some reason, obviously, we start thinking about what are we thankful for? And I know if you're like me, we instantly think of the things that are easy to be thankful for. Family, friends, an awesome church, amen. Okay preaching, but a really good praise team, okay. We can be thankful for all those things. And those are the easy things. We can check those out the box. My health, if, you, if you're healthy right now, things like that. You can just kind of go through the motions. But I want to encourage you this Thanksgiving to step back and say, God, thank you for the difficult seasons. God, thank you that everything didn't go exactly as I planned them to go. Because if I've learned anything, as we're going to talk about in a minute here, your plan supersedes my plan. But that's okay because I'm more about your plan than my plan. And so, God, thank you for the difficult seasons. Thank you that you said no when I wanted a yes because your glory was displayed greater than if you would have said yes. God, thank you for the difficult roads. Again, God is able. We we just sang about the reality of the, uh, the other in the fire. There's another in the fire. And God may deliver us. We talk about miracles of protection. God may deliver us from the fiery furnace experiences in our lives. He may keep you from ever going through that trial or that persecution. Other times, he may deliver us through the fiery furnace. That means he may allow you to go through the trial, but in the midst of going through the trial, you come out the other end closer to him, stronger in Christ, and he was with you the entire time, and you're just strengthened in our faith. And other times, God will actually take us home through the fiery furnace experience. 
That sometimes the greatest miracle of protection against future persecution is to actually just take us home through the trial. And see, all of these things we see in Scripture, sometimes they were kept from the trial. Sometimes they went through the trial but came out the other side stronger and closer to Christ. And sometimes they went through the trial and were taken home to be with the Lord. When you read in the New Testament and all of the disciples and their experiences and the persecutions they went through in the book of Acts, the beatings and the imprisonments, the things they went through, the fact that I believe it's in Acts chapter 12 where it talks about James being martyred. And when it happened there, the Jews rejoiced and were pleased by this. And this led to them arresting Peter and putting him in prison. I mean, he was martyred for no other reason than he was a follower of Christ. Stephen, in in Acts chapter 7, talks about that he was martyred for his faith because he would not renounce Christ. See, God took them home through the trial, through the persecution, because that was the greatest way to protect them from future persecution. Other believers we read of went through the trial and came out the other end stronger and closer to Christ because God had a plan that was different than the others. And this is, again, where I just get so, I'll be honest, infuriated at some of the preaching I hear today. That God only ever wants you healthy, wealthy, and blessed. That there'll never be a difficulty. And if there is a difficulty, it's okay because you just need to have more faith. That your checking account will always be full. That you'll always be healthy. You'll never have any struggles. That is garbage lies from Satan. That is not the gospel. You, we need to realize the point of the gospel was not to make your life better. So that you can, quote, live your best life now and other nonsense. You know the point of the gospel? To give you life. It's not, oh, now I can live my best life now. No, 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 no. You had no life to live. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. And the gospel of Jesus Christ revived you, gave you life. Now you live in his presence. You have a relationship with God. And when you leave this world, that relationship will continue in person, in heaven, forever with him. See, that's the gospel. Not so you can always find the best parking spot. Not so you'll always have the best days and get the raise or get the guy or get the girl or whatever other things they want to say. And you might say to yourself, do people really teach this stuff? Worse yet, people believe this stuff and are led astray into thinking that when God says no, it's somehow their fault because they just didn't pray hard enough. Now, we talked about it. There are some times that God asks us to display faith through prayer and to ask and cry out and believe. Yes, we need to believe. But we need to believe that he is faithful to us, whether he says yes or no. That's what our faith is based in, not in what God does for us, but who God is and how he reveals himself. And so is God able to protect us and keep us from these things? Yes, he is. But what did the Hebrew children, the teens, really say in Daniel? Our God can deliver us from this trial. But if not, we still won't bow down. See, that's faith. That's faith. And so we uncovered that. We went to Psalm. If you have notes, if you're taking notes, you can jot down Psalm 37, 39 through 40. We won't go there for time's sake. So we talked about how when trouble comes, we have a strength, not of ourselves, but he is our strength. The Bible in another translation says that he is our fortress, a place of refuge we can run to. And again, we have to get this. We don't run to him because we are afraid of our persecutors. 
We don't run to him as our fortress because we're terrified of our persecutors. We run to him because we trust in our God. We run because we trust in him and in his goodness. And so long before you had a problem, God had a plan. We talked about this last week. Long before you had a problem, God had a plan. We're going to go back to Acts chapter 16 in just a few moments, but you can turn there now if you'd like. Acts chapter 16, that's where we're going to spend the most of our, uh, rest of our time, I should say, this morning. Acts chapter 16, if you're using a Bible provided, that's page 779. Uh, the passages that we'll be in will be on uh, that page, I believe, and so page 779. And you're going to find out as we reviewed, or we talked about last week, we're reviewing this morning that Paul, the Apostle Paul, faced a problem. And it was a serious problem. And because of what went on there, he ended up being thrown in prison. And he ended up releasing a girl from demonic possession. We see the story of Lydia coming to Christ in Acts chapter 16, which is the first known European convert recorded in Scripture, which is quite important to recognize that in Acts 16, we already see the gospel reaching someone in Europe or what's considered Europe. And we know the benefits of that because Christianity went through Europe and then came where? Here. And so we can see how the Apostle Paul leading Lydia to Christ in Acts chapter 16 sparked a flame that brought the gospel through Europe which ends up bringing the gospel here. And so God is not a God of chance and what ifs and maybes. He's a God of a plan. And he orchestrates these things and we are glorifying him because of it. And so we see this amazing moment. This, this woman is saved and others with her at the riverside. This girl is set free from demonic possession and Paul ends up in prison. But as he's there, God reveals his plan. Paul faced a problem, but God had a plan. We read in Acts chapter 16, again, we read it last week, that this jailer who has kept charge over Paul and Silas and other prisoners, there's an earthquake, the prison doors are open, the, the jailer gets up thinking that everyone left, he's going to kill himself. Paul calls out and says that they're all still present, they're all still there. This jailer comes in, falls before them and asks what he must do to be saved. Beautiful, believe, right, on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you'll be saved. And anyone else who makes the same confession will be saved. So we read of this jailer coming to Christ and his family. He's baptized. And there's this amazing time of celebration where they're having a meal together. And we see this moment of just joy and love and faithfulness to God. And so why did God allow Paul and Silas to end up in some prison after doing the right thing and doing what God called them to do? Because God planned and wanted Paul and Silas in that prison so that Paul and Silas could share Christ with this jailer and we can see the origin of the church at Philippi or the letter to the Philippians is written to this church that starts in Acts chapter 16. And you read of this church in the letter to the Philippians, which is again a, the same church that started in Acts 16, and you read that they were one of the first ones to help Paul in his missionary journeys that they communicated with him when other churches weren't. And so why is it that Paul was able to continue through the rest of the book of Acts doing what he did, doing missions work? Because churches like the church of Philippi said, we'll support you, we'll partner with you, we'll minister through you, and we'll give you what you need. And this all started, and that also means others that came to Christ later in Paul's ministry were able to hear the gospel because of a church in Philippi which started in a jail. And this is our God. This is what our God can do. 
And we don't think of it that way sometimes in the little things in life. But we have to realize when God says or does something different than we know or understand or we get, we have to trust. So often, moving into kind of the new material this morning, often God's eternal purpose does not align with our temporary plans. Often, not always, there are times it aligns, but often, at least it seems to me from Scripture, as well as in my own life, often God's eternal purposes do not align with our temporary plans. And we do see this in Scripture. Time and time again, we read of stories where God intervened in a person's life, disrupting their temporary plan to fulfill his eternal purpose. And one of the greatest examples of these, and we'll unpack this obviously more in the coming weeks, is the story of Mary and Joseph, the earthly parents of Jesus. Mary being his mother and Joseph being his father, not by blood, but by position. Their temporary plans were to get married, settle down, and raise a family. Pretty simple plans, right? Get married, settle down, raise a family. Guess what was not in Joseph's immediate two-year plan. That's what was not in Mary's immediate two-year plan. They did not anticipate or see this moment coming. I am pretty sure raising the son of God was not part of their plan. I don't think Joseph and Mary were like, you know, it'd be fun. You know, it'd be cool as if God sovereignly chose you, Mary, to be the virgin mother of the Lord Jesus Christ, who, well, we don't know his name yet, but I'm sure that'll be his name. And then we're going to raise that child and take care of him. Wouldn't that be awesome? I don't, I don't think that conversation took place. Even after the birth of Christ, God revealed to them that they needed to flee to Egypt when Jesus was around two years old. Again, that was most likely not in Joseph's immediate plans to relocate to another country with a toddler and a new wife. By the way, try being Joseph as Mary is getting ever so close to delivering and convince her, okay, we need to get on this camel. You're going to get on the camel. I'm going to walk and I'm going to walk with the camel and we're going to travel across the country. It's going to be great. Yeah, I know you're like, super pregnant, but it's going to be awesome. And then when we get there, there's no place for us to stay. It's going to be great. I mean, imagine going through that night, you're Joseph and Mary's all, you know, we picture her being very spiritual, right? Glowing all the time, whatever. But, but think about this. We know that they knew the purpose and the will of God and all of this, but humanly speaking, if you're Joseph, you're like, man, I'm so blessed. She hasn't killed me yet. Let's just be real for a minute, okay? So you can't tell me some human emotion didn't come into that night. Then, a year and a half later, or a little more, you go to Mary and you say, listen, I know we've gone through a lot already, but we got to pack up and move to another country because God told us we need to do this. I mean, do you think that was a conversation that was easy to have? Do you think Mary and Joseph sat back and said, man, Lord, we really just want to kind of live our lives. I want to kind of settle down. But the Bible says they went, they obeyed God's will. And because of that, and because God was doing more than they could ever know, because they followed his leading, even though it interrupted their temporary plans, God's eternal plan was 
intact, and the future savior of the world was protected. You see, so often in scripture we see these stories, but when it comes to our own life, we struggle. When God wants to intervene and disrupt our sacred plans, we get frustrated, we get angry. God, why would you not let it go this way? I just did this and this and this for you. Can I just have this? And we, we're thinking about it the wrong way. God is not in heaven going, oh, I bet this would really mess up their plans. Oh, I bet this would really get them annoyed. No, God is in heaven saying, if you could just see from my point of view, the picture of all of this is going to accomplish. Trust me when I tell you the joy is greater if you would just submit to my will. And I will show you things and things that you'll look back and go, wow, I never would have imagined that could have happened in my life. But our temporary plans get interrupted. What does this do for us? What does this bring into our lives? Well, it brings a discovery of freedom. When we realize this reality, that when our temporary plans are interrupted for God's eternal purposes, it brings a freedom into our lives where we don't have to, hear me now, try to control every little part of our lives. And let me just warn you, this may shock you, you don't have the control you think you have over your life. We think we want to always be in control. I just got to control this and manage this and make it fit. Listen, there's so much freedom in just saying, God, I will be the steward you've called me to be in my marriage, in my finances, in my home, in my children, in all these things. But God, you are in control. You, this is your life. Do you know the Bible says that your breath that you've been given right now, that you've been using while I've been yakking up here, that breath that you've been taking in and out of your body has been leased to you? That is, you don't own that breath in your lungs? That was a gift given by God? That your very bodies in Christ are not your own? You've been bought with a price? So that very air you're using that God has graciously given you, one day you'll stand before him and you will give an account for this life because it's not your life, it's his life lived through you in Christ. See, he's so good to us and he gifts us life. And so often we want to try to rip it out of his hands and put it in ours and say, but God, you better do it my way. Now we don't say that out loud because that's not very spiritual, but we pray that way sometimes. We use different words and different sayings and more spiritual sounding tones, but we're basically saying, God, do it my way. But when we realize that his eternal purposes, although they may interrupt at times our temporary plans, when his will is accomplished in our lives, we'll experience his glory on display and great blessing for ourselves. And so what does this freedom bring into our lives? I want to show you what this looks like practically. You're in Acts chapter 16. Let's go to verse 25. So Acts chapter 16, verse 25. We skipped this verse last week when we were kind of reading through the text. And some of you probably read it along with it. But I want to go there and and really spend a moment here. How did Paul and Silas respond to God allowing things to go different than they hoped or wanted? Well, Acts 16, 25 tells us. And at midnight, this is before the earthquake of deliverance, before the jailer comes in and is saved, before their wounds are washed and cleansed, and before the baptism service, before all of that, they just are sitting in prison, doing what God said, and it led them to be thrown in stocks and chains. Verse 25, and at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed. So there's a key. 
They prayed and sang praises unto God. And the prisoners heard them. So how does Paul and Silas respond to God interrupting their temporary plans and bringing something they never would have asked for into their lives? With feet chained and backs bleeding from the open wounds that have yet to been mended. That they were just beaten. And I've described it before, but the type of beating here was not with a whip like we think of with Jesus and the cross. Most likely what it was is very thin rods were used. And they would take somebody and they would stretch them over a rock or some kind of a a surface that would bring the back really taut and tight. So their feet were down or their hands were down by their feet. And then they would stand on the side of them and either one or two or maybe three would take these rods and take turns striking the back as many times as was deemed necessary by whoever was overseeing the sentencing. And they would do this. And you can imagine the skin being as tight as it is, being stretched out like it is. And every time they hit, it splits the skin open. And this is what they went through for preaching Jesus, someone coming to Christ and setting a girl free from demonic possession. This is what God allowed them to go through. And they're sitting in this dank, dark, nasty cell, feet chained, backs against the wall. And how do they respond? Well, they prayed and they sang. They prayed and they sang praises. I want to remind you that prayer is praising just as much as singing a praise song is praising. That when we pray and we cry out to him and we ask him to intervene or we ask him for wisdom or we ask him for guidance or we trust him in spite of our circumstances, he is still God and we are praising him through our prayers. And then they praise God through singing. We don't know what song they sang. Most likely it was Psalms or something of that sort. But they felt it necessary to praise God. In this situation. How can they do that? How can they understand. In what they're in. That they're they're still seeing. God is worth praising. I want to share just quickly. um, I was reading. In a resource that I came across. A few months ago. That contains uh, letters. uh, From some of what we call the early church fathers. Who were just leaders in the early church. After the apostles were no longer leaders. And this volume contains many different letters of different individuals. And I came across an account written around 150 to 200 AD. And of the accounts of the early Christian martyrs and those that were dying for their faith. This account specifically referred to a man, a church father named Polycarp. And again, if you're looking for a name for a child, Polycarp, go for it. See how it goes. But I want to read this. This is from... This early account as witnesses were watching what was happening to the early church and the leaders in the early church. Listen to what those looking on described. It says, in looking to the grace of Christ, they, those that were being martyred, despised all the torments of this world. For this reason, the fire of their savage executions, this is a literal fire of execution. The fire of their savage executions appeared cool to them. And they looked forward with the eyes of their hearts to those good things which are laid up for such as endure. 
So individuals watching Christian martyrs being literally burned at the stake in the moment of their martyrdom, they're, set, they're just crying out and praising God. And those looking on say, man, with the eyes of their heart, they looked beyond the torture and the fire was actually cool to them. It didn't burn them. And in fact, it pushed them to realize that one day through this fire, they would be with their savior. That they saw that because of Christ, they could endure this fire and be with their Lord. And see, to me, when I read the account in Acts chapter 16, and I read what Paul and Silas did, they just praised God, even though it was not an ideal situation. And here in the early church, they praised God, even though their plans were not being accomplished in what they thought it should be. When we realize who we are in Christ, namely whose we are in Christ, no matter what happens to us, we can look beyond that trial and see our Savior. So after going through what you went through, after going through what you're going through, or as you're going through it, you don't need to answer out loud, but let me just ask you, how are you responding? When you get before the Lord, do you praise and pray, or do you complain? And to be completely honest, it is much easier to complain than to praise. We're natural complainers. Now, some of us are more gifted in this area than others. Some of us, we just complain about everything. You know this person because they never have good service at any restaurant ever. They've never been to a restaurant with a good waiter or waitress ever. The food's never good. And we joke about that and we can laugh about that. But let's be honest for a second. I think we've all gotten before the Lord when he interrupted our plans and said, really? 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 So what do we do when we're before the Lord and we're going through it? Man, we realize that we are not bound to the natural. We don't have to respond in the natural response of our flesh. We have freedom that we know that there is a God who is holding our very lives. And we may not understand the why, but we understand the who. And we trust the who, not the what that we see in our lives. God's eternal purpose is being fulfilled. And we can take comfort and grace in that and be free to just trust him. This is why I honestly believe that Jesus is not for our happiness, but he is for our joy and that our joy might be full. You see, happiness is temporary and outside of our control. Joy, on the other hand, is given to us in Christ and is eternal. I mean, what is the response we see from the Philippian jailer in Acts chapter 16, verse 34? And when he had brought them into his house, he set me before them and rejoiced believing in God with all his house. He wasn't happy and just circumstances. It was a joy. It was deep-seated in Christ. When persecution trials come, we can trust that there is a place we can run, a place of protection, and that place is the person of Jesus Christ. Not because we fear our persecutors, but because we trust our God. So this doesn't mean we won't go through it. And whatever that means for you, you know what it means to go through it. You know what that looks like in your life or what it has looked like. But this doesn't mean we won't go through it because we will. But it does mean we won't go through it alone. And the fact that he is with us is the greatest miracle of protection of all. The fact that he chooses to be with you in the midst of your fiery furnace experience is the greatest miracle of protection, even though you're in the fire. And we think, no, 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 protection is don't get me get in the fire. No, no, God's will is at times to put you through the fire, but he never leaves you in the fire alone. And that is a great miracle. That is a great blessing that we need to be thankful for. 
And so I want to ask this as we kind of spend some time in an invitation this morning. I'm going to ask you, whether right there where you are or maybe you want to come forward and pray. I want to ask you, when, when things go contrary to what you think and your temporary plans are interrupted and God's purposes maybe are being achieved in that moment, but you don't understand the why, how do you respond? Do you respond with praise and prayer, going to your father and crying out to him and worshiping him in the midst of your confusion? Or do we complain and try to get God to conform to our wants and what we want to happen? So do we trust and praise or do we complain and control? The choice is ours. He'll let you choose. But I promise you from the word of God, when you release that thing and you trust in Christ, the joy that is present will be overwhelming. And the peace is beyond comparison. When you try to control and complain and just get your hands around it, at times, I'm telling you, there'll be no joy because you can't control it. We just need to trust. Yes, we follow his leading and we do what he calls us to do. We do our part. And when we don't understand why, we trust that he does and we trust him because he is good. Would you bow with me in a word of prayer? Father, we thank you, Lord, for your grace in our lives. And Lord, as we spend time this morning responding to you, we pray that you and you alone will be glorified. Father, help us to trust you when we see our plans, our temporary plans being interrupted. When we see things that we thought should be one way happening another. Now, Lord, I'm not speaking to those times that we make sinful decisions. That we get in the way of what you're doing in our lives as far as you're still going to do what you're going to do. But, I mean, we, we don't see it the right way. We're not responding the right way because of some sin in our lives. And because we've made decisions that has taken us into different areas, Lord. I pray that if that's the case, that we would realize that you still have a purpose for us. You're still using us. And you call us to repent and turn back to you, trusting in you. There's no such thing as wasted time with you, a God that can use all things for good. And so I pray, Lord, that if there is someone here, Lord, that's living in a sinful situation, has made some decisions that have kind of derailed what you maybe were leading them in at one time, I pray they'd realize there's grace to turn and to receive your forgiveness, to be restored to who and what you've called them to. And so, Father, I pray that you would be with those that are here, maybe in that situation. But for the, the Christians here, Lord, that are just going through a trial and a struggle, maybe feeling the weight of a persecution, I pray that they would know that while it doesn't always make sense, we can trust you. And so, Father, again, may you be glorified in all that has been said and done and all that will be done this morning as we respond to you by the working of your Holy Spirit. Again, if anyone doesn't know you as Savior, I pray they'd come to know you, trusting in you and you alone for the forgiveness of sins. We love you, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand to your feet? As we are led in a song of invitation, would you respond? Maybe you want to come and pray in the front. Maybe you want to take some time this morning and prepare your heart for communion. The Bible's pretty clear on this. We need to make sure that if there's any sin in us that we need to confess and repent of, we can do that during this time to prepare our hearts and minds for the receiving of communion. So whatever God is doing, would you respond to him? this morning as we sing and as we pray.